0: So on Christ the King Sunday, um, you know, we like to celebrate, and rightly so, you know, with um, with the attributes of Jesus, and we think of all his power and his might and his dominion, how he rules our world with peace and justice and judgment. You know, th- this is a—in this go- in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is—it's it's not a— I would say, not one of the most popular passages of Jesus' teaching. I, I imagine, you know, if we're all pretty honest, we, we all, at least a little bit, you know, whether now or in the past, have struggled with the idea of, of judgment. I remember um, when I was younger and I was taking piano lessons, the worst time of the year uh, was the time of the final exam. And it wasn't necessarily because of the shaking nerves that I had leading up to that fateful day, um, or the, the quiet, anxious time when the examiner was scribbling notes with their pencil on that sonata that I'd just botched. But it was actually the time after the exam was done when I'd gone home and when I was waiting, waiting for the results waiting to know have i passed did i do enough and at the same time having the same thought in my mind you know why would my piano teacher subject me to such torture how could they really love me you know in the same way i think many of us probably have uh similar emotions when we think of final judgment you know i think some of us think of uh, or have the emotion of fear yeah, have, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Am I in? How do I know if I'm in? Maybe, maybe I'm out. Maybe I haven't done enough good. Or um, others of us perhaps don't focus on ourselves as much as focus on God and his character and think to ourselves, how can a loving God really do this, really separate sheep from goats, send people to hell? Or maybe there's a third group who try to just live their life without thinking about final judgment. You know, if I just don't think about it, then it'll just, it'll be okay. I can live um, without the fear or the questions. I can just live. As I was uh, doing some reading, preparing for uh, this sermon, I um, I came to see that what a passage like this does is is it, is it's actually, it's perfect for Christ the King Sunday because um, what judgment actually does when we see it the way that the Bible teaches it, the final separation, is that it actually shows us more clearly the loving justice of a God that destroys all of our fear. See, judgment actually shows us God's loving justice and, and destroys the fear that we have about it and so let's um let's what i want for us is to is to see the love of god this morning in a passage that is difficult sometimes to see the love of god and so three honest questions that i hope that you'll ask with me the first question who is our king second question what is our heart and the third question where is our hope who is our king what is our heart where is our hope okay so first who is our king So interesting, this is actually the first time in Matthew's gospel that Jesus refers to himself as a king. And it's when he tells us this story of separation. Um, Jesus tells a story about a time in the future when the Son of Man will come again in all his glory. He's referring to his second coming. And he will sit on his throne, and he will separate people based upon their actions. So in ancient times, uh, at nighttime, a shepherd would take their flock and would separate them, sheep and goats. This was something that happened every night. Why? Because sheep have more insulation than goats. You know, they have, they have woolly coats that keep them nice and toasty warm at night, More goats didn't. And so the shepherd had to separate them in order to keep them warm. He would bring the, the goats into a warm place, and the sheep could spend the night outside. Like a shepherd, Jesus says that the sheep and the goats, he will separate them based on who they served or didn't serve. Right? The sheep are the group of people that went the furthest in serving others. Right? They go as far as to serve a group of people that Jesus identifies as the least of these. Right? The, the most poor, the most vulnerable, the hardest to love people. That's who the least of these are. But notice something so profound in this story is that it never actually uses the word judgment. Do you see that? The king does not judge and name. The king separates. It's it's almost as if the sheep and the goats have already decided for themselves what they are. So an important question then comes up. You may be thinking it, sitting there. You know, what makes a person a sheep and what makes a person a goat? As Pastor Ken mentioned last week, a phrase that I just couldn't get out of my mind. He said, the way that we live our days is the way that we live our lives. Do you remember that? It's such a strikingly simple and profound statement. And so I thought of it in the context of this passage this morning as the, the way that we live our days is the way that we live our lives. Is that the way that we live our eternity? It would appear so in, the, in a passage like this, right? It would appear that that's what's going on here, is that the sheep and the goats are being separated by their works. Except for one strange thing. I think this is one of the most striking parts of this story, is that both the sheep and the goats, when the king, you know, separates them and talks with them, they're both surprised. Did you catch that? Both groups are surprised at the words of the king. You know, the sheep say, when did we serve the least of these and serve you? And the goats say, when did we not serve the least of these and serve you? Did you see that? And so I ask myself, you know, why why were the goats surprised? Let's talk about the goats first. Why were the goats surprised? Well, they're surprised because they thought that they'd done enough. They thought that they were morally good enough to clear the bar set by the king and to be welcomed into the kingdom. See, notice that the goats are not sent into eternal punishment because of something that they've done. There's no sin that's identified. There's nothing—they're not caught in adultery. They're not stealing, right? It's not something that they have done. It's something that they've left undone. They haven't actually cleared the bar they haven't gone far enough because their their morality was what they thought would get them in see jesus is here he's telling a story about two different groups of people but it's not about good people and bad people it's not about sinful people and righteous people it's about people who serve themselves and people who serve the king the goats are the group who serve Themselves and the sheep are the group that serve the king Let me I just want to tell you a story that'll just I think hone in a little bit more on that point Because what this story comes down to is who do we serve? Who is our king? So this was a story told by the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon He said once upon a time there was a king who ruled over everything in a land one day there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot like to think of it as a big, massive carrot. One of those ones you see at the Royal Winter Fair. Those huge ones. He grew this massive carrot, and he brings it to the king. And he says to the king, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So he turned, as, as this gardener turned to go, the king said to him, wait, wait, you've clearly, you've shown to me clearly that you are an amazing gardener. You've grown this massive carrot, and you've given it to me. So I want to, I want to honor you. I want to give you a plot of land for you to, for you to use freely as a gift, so you can garden it all, so you can grow more big, enormous, gigantic carrots. The gardener was amazed and delighted, and he went home rejoicing. But there was also a nobleman that was overhearing this whole conversation, and uh, he thought to himself, my goodness, this poor gardener came in here with this carrot and got land. I wonder what would happen if I gave the king a horse. And so he goes back to his stable and gets the, the best, most beautiful, most handsome black stallion that he's ever seen. And he, he marches up to the king and he says, My king, I breed horses. And this is the greatest horse that I've ever bred or ever will breed. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And the king took it, discerned the man's heart, and said to him, Thanks and dismissed him. Now, needless to say, this nobleman was pretty bummed and thought to himself, what is going on here? How did the, and the king, you know, being a good king, discerning the man's heart, said to the nobleman, look, let me tell you what's going on here. The the gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. See, the nobleman was, was trying to serve himself by getting something more for himself by giving something to the king. It wasn't about the king. It wasn't about his love for the king. It wasn't about his desire to serve the king. It was about his, his, his selfishness in wanting something for himself. This is what that story is about. The two groups, the sheep and the goats, the goats serve themselves. The sheep serve the king. Can we ask ourselves, who do we serve with our lives? Are we more like the gardener? Are we more like the noblemen? Are we more like the goats, or are we more like the sheep? The truth is, though, the challenging truth is that unless our hearts are changed by the gospel, we are all goats. So the 100 meter—this is this is the second point, okay? What is our heart? The 100 meter uh, race in the Olympics is— Probably the most exciting event in the Summer Olympic Games, right? You know many of us tune in and in the past years it's been to see Usain Bolt You know run it in record time. I remember the days um, When Donovan Bailey was running the hundred meter wasn't that amazing? But the hundred meters one of the most popular track and field races and there was years ago There was this runner named Eric Liddell and he said something so profound about the race. He said this he said when that gun goes off right when he's in the starting blocks when he's ready to race and the gun goes off and it goes bang he says i have 10 seconds to justify my existence and it's what a profound thing to say because what what eric liddell is saying in in that statement is he's saying i'm not running for the joy of running i'm not running to use the gifts that i've been given because i'm good at running and i want to serve some serve god i'm running because I'm serving myself. I need to justify to myself that I am worthy of love from other people. Without the gospel at work in our hearts, right, the fact that that we're saved by grace and not by works, justified by faith in Christ, without that working in our hearts to change the way that we love and serve people, everything that we do will be bent towards justifying our existence. Without the gospel, things, good things like loving the poor, visiting the sick, following the Ten Commandments, loving our neighbors, will be done so that when our heads hit that pillow at night, we know that we're a good person. But it will never be enough, and this is where the fear of judgment is rooted. It's rooted when we try to justify our existence by the good things that we do. Our hearts are constantly needing to verify that we are good acceptable sheep. And we actually, in the in the effort to try to do that, we actually destroy our ability to really love people. Because we're just loving ourselves. We're just trying to, to, to make feel better about ourselves. On the other side of the equation, you know, some people respond to this uh, and say, you know, I don't think I need a God to tell me how I can or cannot love people. I think, I, you know, why can't I just look out and, and decide, you know, I, I decide for myself how to love people, how to respond to people's needs? But that approach too will also destroys our ability to really love. Imagine you bought a Lego kit. Okay, you went to the store, bought a Lego kit, you, you opened it up. What's one of the first things you take out of the box? It's an instruction manual, right? And that instruction manual tells you how that Lego kit is supposed to be made. How it's designed to be built. The Bible is like a Lego instruction manual for our humanity. It tells us how God designed us as human beings to work. And so imagine, you know, you have that Lego kit, Right? but you decide, you know what, I don't want to follow these instructions. And so you toss toss the instruction manual in the garbage. Do you still need to know how to build? You still need to know how to build it, right? It's not going to build itself. And so even though you got rid of the instruction manual, you're still going to have to rely on something else in order to know what it's supposed to look like or where the pieces go. You're going to be relying on your own head. In the same way, if we try to throw away the Bible as as a rule of this is how we are to love our neighbors, this is how we're to love and serve God, we're still going to have to rely on something to tell us. What's it going to be? Is it going to be our culture? Is it going to be our friends? Is it going to be our own self? Whatever it is that we rely on as our instruction manual for how to love others, it's going to enslave us. How do we know that we're loving people the right way? How do we know we're doing enough to be a good person? We will still have to look outside of ourselves for affirmation. This is what Jesus says in this story. When he separates the sheep and the goats, he said it's not about being good people or bad people. It's about people who serve themselves or people who serve the true king. Frederick Bauchner who is a Bible scholar hones in on this and he says this he, he said he's summing up this passage He says thus for Jesus the only distinction between men and women that ultimately matters seems to be not whether they're churchgoers or non churchgoers whether they're communists or capitalists whether they're Catholics or Protestants or Jews, but do they or do they not love? So it all comes down to love. But Bachner keeps drilling down, and he says this. He says, love, not in the sense of an emotion so much, as in the sense of an act of the will. The act, he says, of willing another's good, even at the greatest expense of your own. That's what love is. Love is serving other people at the expense of your own good. He goes on. He says, hell— is the, the suffering of being unable to love. See, hell is not a place where God sends people to burn for sin, to, be, to suffer eternal punishment because he's angry, but a place where people who want to serve themselves are free to do so. God, in sending people to hell, simply allows them to have what they want— The question for us is then, is there hope to be set free from serving ourselves, from the inability to really love people? Where do we look for a hope like this? Where do we look for a power to change us from the inside out? In the Gospel of John, it says something really striking. In chapter 13, Right before Jesus goes to the cross, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Do you know what that means practically? When Jesus was hanging on the cross— It wasn't nails that kept him there. It was love. Christ on the cross was taking upon himself physical death for us. So that we can come out the other side of death. But more than that, more than that, when Christ was hanging on the cross, he cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do this? It wasn't just because he was experiencing physical death on the cross. It was because in that moment when he was hanging there, he experienced spiritual death. The death of a relationship with his father. The judgment of God came down upon him, and he experienced separation from God. Christ did not have to die, and he did not have to experience spiritual death. But why did he do that? He did that so that we could be brought back. See, the cross means for us that though we are more sinful and broken than we could ever imagine, that in in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, we are more loved and accepted, served, and renewed than we could ever hope. Let's turn to the sheep, because the sheep are also surprised at the words of the king. They are surprised because it wasn't about serving the least of these. It was about serving the king. The sheep are the people who know deep down in their heart, like what we read in the prophet Ezekiel, that they were the stray. That was brought back by christ they were the injured who'd been bound up by the cross the sheep are surprised at the words of the king because they were responding to his love they weren't trying to earn anything they knew that their judgment day had moved from the future to the past and they were living in response to that see if, if we serve anything other than Jesus, be it career or family, people's idea of us, our own sense of identity, it will turn our love into selfishness. But if we serve Jesus, it will turn our selfishness into love. The gospel profoundly humbles us and calls us to serve people, even the least of these, because we are the least of these. We are the spiritual least of these who have been made new by Jesus. The irony is that when we do serve the least of these, we know Jesus more deeply. This, I think, is kind of getting at what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. Read that passage in light of Christ the King Sunday, of the cross. The more we respond, the more we serve, the more we're drawn to people who are hard to love the more of Jesus we receive. And so this morning, can we say together the words of Psalm 95, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before our Lord and maker for he is God. We are his people. We are the sheep, the flock under his care. This is the love of God, the deep love of God that frees us from fear of judgment. Our judgment day has been moved From the future to the past in Jesus. The cross draws us closer to his loving kindness. Let's pray together. Father, this is Christ the King Sunday. This is the Sunday where we pause and we remember that you are the king of this world. The king on the cross. The king who stooped low. Who embraced us. God, we recognize that we are sheep gone astray. We are constantly doing things our own way. We don't deserve your love, and yet you loved us to the end. Father, let us be changed by this. Help us to see the cross for what it is a deep assurance. Of our future with you. How far you went to love us. Help that to spur us on as we reach out to the least of these among us as a community in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our cities, in our world. Father, be, let us be the agents of change that you desire us to be. In Christ we pray. Amen.